Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being the mind, but I'm still your host. I'm flying solo today on the panel, and with me, I have a very special returning guest, one of our faves, uh, Debbie O'Brien. How are you doing, Deb? Woohoo! One of your faves. I love it. <laughs> yes, returning guest. Now, the interesting thing about Debbie is that every time she comes back, she's doing I have something a new job. <laughs> I know. She has a new job. So, so this is the last uh, time you're ever going to get me. <laughs> all right. Note that down. This is the last time that she's changing jobs, is what she's saying, basically. So, <laughs> Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through my, most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. <laughs> no, the first time. So the first time we talked to you, I think it was me and Lindsay, and you were with Nuxt. You were working for the Nuxt organization. That's correct. And then the next time you had just changed, and I'm sorry, I forget where you were, but you were doing React. Yeah, it's and, called a company called Bit in Israel. Right, right. You were doing React, and now you're with Microsoft. Yeah. So <laughs> going for the small, you know, personalized companies. Exactly. But still, but open source. And I think that's the cool thing. I've gone from open source to open source to open source. Yes, that is indeed most excellent. A uh, uh, trip down the open source lane that Microsoft has gone. So yeah, we can get into that for sure. Uh, before we uh, get into that, uh, for people that have not heard the previous episodes or, or who could possibly live in the view world and not ever heard your name, why don't you give us a little background and who you are, what you do, why you're famous, and so on. Famous? I didn't know I was famous. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, my name is Debbie O'Brien, and basically I started out in open source um, many, many years back while I was working as a team lead in a company. Um, started off by contributing to Webpack, actually. Started off by contributing to documentation, and it's really important that you can start in open source from just the smallest, tiniest things and end up like doing amazing things. So don't ever think you can't. Um, and yeah, I live in Mallorca. It's a beautiful island off Spain. So I cycle and run around the island and do a lot of sport. You've probably seen that on Twitter. And I've been working in front end for many, many years, in and out of jobs. I always find it difficult because I live on a small island. So um, yeah, finding finding companies to have long full-time jobs in tech was very difficult. Uh, I think COVID has been great because it's really opened the whole uh, world that you can now jump. I can now work for Microsoft, whereas before COVID times, that possibly it wasn't going to be possible, right? There's no Microsoft offices here. And uh, yeah, what do I do? I have a website called Debbie.codes and I throw up on there all these kind of stuff like the podcast interviews, blog posts, um, anything that I can do in my free time to help people out um, so that they can get a change their their lives and get an amazing job in in coding. Anything I can do to help is there. And my website's open source. It's built with Nux3. Upgraded to Nux3. But yeah, um, basically that's that's probably why I'm famous because I'm just like always helping people. And then I just got recognition for that. And that helped a lot. But yeah, um, anything I can do to help people in coding is my goal, my dream. So for those of you listening to Debbie, that is not 
uh, a Mallorcan accent that you're hearing that, yes, yes, an <laughs> Irish accent, uh, just in case you might be confused. She's not a native Mallorcan or, or Spaniard, so. No, it's, it's too cold in Ireland. It rains too much, so I moved over to the sun. Oh, sounds like me here in Oregon, let me tell you. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so the... First, uh, tell us before we get into the topic, and before I forget, I always forget the studio audience. How you doing, studio? Wow, I, I do to... have a lot of fans. <laughs> yes, yes, we don't. Uh, well, the ticket sales went through the roof when people wow. heard that uh, you were coming. It's the demand they almost swamped Ticketmaster servers. Uh, <laughs> but. <and> uh, <laughs> Uh, so before we get into what we're going to talk about, why don't you tell us about Microsoft and uh, for those who haven't heard of Microsoft, what it is you're doing there, especially since it is in the uh, open source world. Yeah, so it's funny because Microsoft was a goal of mine from like five, four years ago. And it was like my five-year goal. So I had been kind of building up to eventually be good enough to get a job at Microsoft. So that was um, what I was doing four years ago when I started working for uh, the companies I was working for. And that's why I was changing jobs. And at every job interview I would turn around, they would say, like, where are you going to be in three years? And I would say, I'm going to be in Microsoft. And they would just look at me and say, like, yeah, you're just a little girl that's coming in here for a job in a small island in New York. It's never going to happen. <laughs> but um, I actually didn't think it was going to happen either. So I kind of agreed with them. But um, but yeah, it's amazing like to go back to those managers and say, look where I am. And they're like so proud of me. So that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I joined the Microsoft uh, team in um, in May basically to work on Playwright. And to be honest, and I'm going to be very honest, I do not come from a massive testing background. I am a front-end developer. I have been trying to get front-end developers into testing. Um, uh, obviously, I've used Cypress and you know Selenium and stuff, but not to a massive, massive degree, right? Um, because every time we try to put testing into a project, the managers or the bosses or the clients are trying to say, we need to cut costs. Let's just remove testing. Let's just not test. And then like, be like Debbie fighting for testing and them saying nothing can happen. So yeah, when I joined uh, Microsoft, it was kind of like, I didn't even think I was going to get the job. I was like, I'm not a testing expert. Oh my God. And there's this new tool Playwright that I do not know enough about. And now I'm like learning it like 24 hours a day to try and, you know, pass the interview and, and to take on this responsibility. So it's been a wild, like, crazy seven months um to get the job was like insane i was like oh my god i made it i made my dream come true i get to work in open source playwright is open source and that's something i'm very passionate about and and i get to do testing which is i really really do enjoy even though i'm not an expert but i will be um so yeah it's been it's been incredible um and i think microsoft is a, an incredible company to work for especially because the amount of open source work that we're doing the tools that we're creating for people uh, it's it's an incredible company. So yeah, so open source and Microsoft to me has always been sort of an interesting topic, just because you know I first started using Microsoft, and this will age me, you know, back you know Windows three point one, uh, wow. you know, early Office days when I first got into my first software tech support job, we were supporting clients on Windows three point one, and. Uh, I did more memory management than anything else in those days, you know, upper memory and lower memory and ugh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. But back then, uh, Microsoft was very anti-open source. 
you know, I think one of the legends mm -hmm. is you know, it was either Bill Gates or Steve Ballmer was like, you know, compared open source to the devil or something like that. And, and, uh, and the biggest change over the years was when Steve Ballmer left, to be yes. honest, because he fought, he hated open source. I think Bill Gates did too. But once he left, things opened up and you started seeing stuff like the Linux kernel being incorporated into Windows and, and uh, the use of you know, open source JavaScript libraries and other tools at Microsoft, maybe like on Azure. Um, and now, you know, Microsoft owns GitHub, which is yep. what the largest repository of, of open source code anywhere. And that probably makes some people nervous and they make Visual Studio Code, which is probably one of the biggest, most popular IDEs used for open source projects. Um, so yeah, it's been- uh, And don't forget TypeScript. TypeScript, yes, yes. What is TypeScript? I've never heard of it. I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, they have definitely contributed a lot, a lot to the to the open source world for sure. So it's been quite an interesting uh, uh, evolution, for lack of a better term, in terms of Microsoft and embracing open source technologies. You know, and, and you still have your proprietary stuff. You need right. to like change with it, right? And yeah. and that's. They made the right choice in changing and going down the open source world because we can gain so much from it and they're gaining from it and giving back is, is, is basically we're giving something back, but we're also gaining a lot as well. Sure. Yeah, I mean, to be sure, there's still, you know, the closed source stuff, you know, Microsoft Office and all the, you know, and, and Windows and a lot of that is still closed source, of course. But, but uh, I remember one of the things that I noticed uh, Microsoft, you'd mentioned Microsoft contributing back um, when uh, Explorer went to Chromium and got rid of their own engine and went to Chromium. I remember seeing, uh, I think it was on Twitter uh, or Hacker News, I don't remember. But anyway, there had been a long-standing bug in Chromium. And within a very short time, of Microsoft incorporating it, it had been fixed by a Microsoft engineer. And this had been like a bug that I guess had been around forever. So stuff like that, you know, Microsoft contributing back to, to you know, the web was certainly a welcome. Everyone welcome, wins. Uh, uh, happening, for lack of a better term, my brain freezing. So with that, let's talk about why we're here and it's called Playwright. So Playwright is uh, a, testing, front-end testing, end-to-end -end testing, I think would be the term, tool for incorporating into one of your uh, web projects. I think we talked about earlier, and from what I've heard, it's sort of a direct uh, uh, competitor to Cypress, which is another uh, testing, front-end testing tool. I'm, as I've mentioned before here in other episodes, I tend to use, I use Dusk just because that's part of Laravel and, and where I work, we're a big Laravel shop with Vue on the front end. And so we use Dusk and that has its advantages for Laravel developers and that you write the actual front end test in PHP and then it, I think it uses jQuery under the hood. But uh, anyway, we wanna talk about Playwright and what it is, how it works, why it's so awesome and so on. So fire away, Deb, tell us about Playwright. Oh my God, where do I start? <laughs> hmm. um, so yeah, let me just first go into like, you know, automation uh, testing first. So there are still companies out there. There's still people out there who, and I used to be that person in one of those jobs who sits there on a Friday 
and test the application by literally clicking buttons and being the user and using the website, right? You push it to production, then you test it. And that's still happening, right? That should not, there should not be someone sitting at a computer pressing those buttons. So automated testing is basically, we're gonna automate that process by getting the computer basically to, um, to do all that because the computer is faster than us. They can, they can type faster, click faster, everything. So imagine filling out one of these really long forms, right? To do whatever. You fill out that form once, you write the test for that. And then every time you make a change to your code, that test is run against that form. It fills in that form, makes sure everything is okay. Everything is validated. And, and this is like, I was doing a visa application the other day to go on a cruise and I could not even fill out the form because it wouldn't let me. Stupid little things. And I was like going so mad. And I was saying to my husband, they don't use Playwright. They don't do testing. <laughs> and he gets it. He's like, oh, this is so frustrating. So yeah, it's really important to test, especially like forms, logins, all those things, anything to do with money um, that you're not going to lose clients, et cetera. So what Playwright does is basically um, has that test done for you so it can rerun that test um, every time that you know you make a commit or a pull request. Now, when it comes to testing, and this is what I love about Playwright is because a lot of people, and, and I know because I have literally uh, sat there with a team of people trying to make them write tests. And I said to the developers, come on, you're going to love this. Trust me. And they're like, oh, do I have to? And it's like, you're just, yeah, it's been so hard. So trying to make testing easy, fun, uh, a way for developers to be able to just incorporate it into their day-to-day -day jobs so that we have better code. And that's something I love about Playwright is because we have a test generator. So literally you can go to that form and you can be that user once and you can fill in everything that you need to fill in and it's gonna generate that whole test for you. Now you have that whole test done, your job is done. You just You just click buttons for, 30 seconds and you have a test written and that's going to like be run against, you know, every PR and that's it. Now, obviously, you know, you need to improve tests a little bit, um, add some assertions that the generator is not going to generate for you. But in general, you can get up and running very, very quickly with Playwright and have those tests written. Uh, even my mother can write tests like that's how easy it is. My mother is not a developer. <laughs> Okay, yeah, thought we should clarify that uh, for a minute. So let's, I guess, talk basics. What are we writing tests in? So that's your choice, right? Now, I'm a JavaScript or TypeScript developer, so I'm going to write my tests in the language that I'm comfortable with. But you, you know, you could be a Java developer or you could be a C-sharp developer or you could be a Python developer and you can write it in that code that you that makes you happier right basically so everyone should write the test in the code that makes them happier that they understand it's using the same library so playwright is basically multi-language and even the generator uh, i could even write code in um java without not knowing java right very easily because it will just generate it in java for me and it's very understandable between the languages so if you have multiple teams you know with different using different languages across your company it's very easy for me to say, you know, I'm going to use TypeScript because I know that, but you're C-sharp. You stick with that and you write it in that. I can still read their test and understand it. They can still read my test because we're using the same API. Okay, so does that mean it has, Playwright has different, what, adapters or converters or compilers, I guess, for the different languages? So that, that, what, that you have to install that says, okay, I'm going to write in PHP, Java, whatever, and then it, yeah. it so translates everything for you? 
yeah, when you install it, you're going to choose which you're going to install, right? Whether you're going to install it on Node, you're going to install the C Sharp, and, and therefore you're going to get the library based on what you installed, right? Based on like the test runner uh, with Node is going to have everything in it. And for C Sharp, you've got to, you've got to add your own test runner, like NUnit, um, for example, MS Test, another one. Mm, okay. So you've installed it and you've said, okay, I'm going to write them in Node you know, just for, yes. to use a popular one. So for this test generator, and I'm reading through the docs here, <laughs> um, you basically get it running and then you go navigate your, it looks like you navigate through your forms or your window, whatever, and behind the scenes, it's sort of uh, tracking what you're doing and generating the tests that do what you want. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's gonna generate on every click event, so, or type event fail. Uh, so whatever you're doing, as in user interaction, could be going to, clicking to go to a new page, for example, uh, checking the, the menu works. Um, so that's gonna then be recorded. And now here's the cool thing. You could be doing it you know, from the CLI by running a command, and then you just copy that code and put it in your editor of choice, or you can use the VS Code extension. And therefore, like right from VS Code, you're just gonna click a button, it's gonna open a browser, you click around, and it's gonna already create a file for you in VS Code with all that test in there. So you don't even have to like, do anything. You just press save at the end. That's it. Done. Happy days. Which is kind of cool. Okay, but so I can see how that would track um, what you're doing, but it would seem that you're going to have to tweak it with assertions, right? Because you know I'm looking something I run into or that we do you know, when writing front end tests a lot is okay. I want to make sure maybe this text is here or this. Um, element is on the page or this in some kinds this element is not on the page you know because you've deleted yeah. something or you've uh, searched and something went away or something like that right so it's i'm going to guess the generator can't really write assertions for what you're looking for to identify that yes it was successful or not and you're going to have to fill those in is that correct I, I, exactly so at the moment i mean i would love it to happen and maybe it will but at the moment we don't generate assertions um but you can say click on like, let's give us a very simple example, a header. You can click on that header, which is not a click, but once you click on it, it's going to generate that one. And then you could modify it. It's going to have that get by role um, heading and then name equals whatever is the heading name. And then you can just remove the click event and turn it into an assertion and say expect to be visible. So it's really easy to refactor it. But also, if you really like you know, writing everything from scratch, you could just start writing it. And you could use the pick locator because maybe you're like thinking, how am I going to locate that heading? And I'm using heading as a simple example, right? Um, you could say, do I use get by text? Do I get use get by role? What role is a heading? So like, you know, you, you can basically just use pick locator, hover over what it is and then click it. Once you click it, it's going to actually save it then into this uh, pick locator box in VS Code or in the um, little box in if you're using the CLI. And then you can just put that into your code. So you don't have to start inspecting the DOM to try and find a locator, right? You don't have to spend all the time doing it because the generator is going to help you writing your tests, even writing your assertions by using the pick locator. Okay. So as I'm going through and writing my tests, um, or let's say I've written one from scratch, or say I've even taken one that's been generated and I'm, you know, I'm tweaking it. Um, so I can run it from a command line, is that right? Or this VS Code extension um, 
like click on something to run a test and see what happens? Uh, how, yeah, how you can click that? a little green triangle in VS Code to, to run uh -huh. the tests. Um, and then it'll just run it right there. So um, you can run like in headless mode where you don't see anything. It's just going to run it really quickly, press a green tick, and it's happy days done. Or you can click a button called show browser, and it's going to like pop up the browser, and you can actually visually see it doing its stuff. And then kind of say, yeah, that looks good, even though it was really fast. Um, but yeah, you could slow it down if you want to. Uh, but also you can like open it up on different browsers. So you can kind of say, you know, I want to see this on, on WebKits because I specifically know it's going to cause a problem on this. And I want to actually visually see it working on WebKit. So you can basically, yeah, visually see it on any of the browsers you want. Excellent. Okay. So, so yeah, the, for me, I always do it by default. Uh, headless, or excuse me, not headless. I turn it off. I want to see the browser. Yeah, I'm, me too. Um, <laughs> because what I've experienced from a code standpoint is in your terminal, say, okay, it failed at such and such a line in this particular test. But I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, one of now one of the one of the things that we do with our testing, and I'm curious to see how Playwright does this. And this might be more of a of a deployment environment thing is, you know, we have it set up. So anytime we deploy code to uh, a particular a branch, it runs through our whole test suite on, we're using Circle CI. Yeah. And one of the things that Circle CI provides for you is logs and then like artifacts. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, this is a picture of what's going on at your screen when this error happened. And what I've noticed in sometimes is that you know, if you look at the log and you see where it failed, it's like something was unavailable. You know, you couldn't click on this particular button like you wanted to because it wasn't clickable for whatever reason. Yeah. And that can be any number of things. You know, maybe you've got a condition that uh, it's disabled until such to such field is filled in. But the one that I've seen that's helped me out quite a bit is because there's some error box, error message in front of your element that makes it not able to be clicked on because something else is wrong. It could be a return code from your back end, you know, 404 or, or something like that, and that's blocking it. And so is that is that something that Playwright uh, does, you know, saves artifacts and stuff, or is that more of a uh, deployment environment type of setting? Yeah, no, so you can do the whole, like, you know, video screenshot is what, you know, a lot of people look for, but we also have something called a trace viewer, which is even better. So the trace viewer gives you a whole trace of your test. And it's it's kind of like, um, it saves like it's a PWA. So you can launch it as a PWA and actually then visually go through it. And there's a timeline at the very, very top. Um, think of the timeline as in like the Chrome browser DevTools timeline. And you can kind of mm -hmm. like hover over it and it's going to give you a visual screenshot of the state of the page on every one of those events that happened. So you kind of hover over it in your own time, see what happens. And then down the bottom, you have on one side, all these kind of like, um, you know, what was happening. So every single step of the test in the middle, you have the DOM snapshot, which is not an image snapshot, a DOM snapshot, which means you can inspect it and open the Chrome DevTools right there in that snapshot of the test. And you have the before and after, so you can see what Playwright was clicking, what happened before, what happened after, so you can really try and understand what Playwright was trying to do and what was, say, covering up that that button that you couldn't click, for example. Um, and it also shows, like, you know, if there was co other consoles, any console errors, any network requests that, that failed, um, and the test code is there as well. So say you wanted to send that to a developer 
you know, that didn't write that test, um, but you wanted their opinion on it, the code is right there. They can kind of see, hey, but on line, you know, 15, you've got this problem that that's what's causing it. Or you can actually just go to the logs and, you know, Playwright will say, hey, look, I tried to do this, but it's out of viewport. And then because you've got Chrome DevTools, you can open up that Chrome DevTools and you can like hover over it and you can see like, oh, wow, look, it's completely out of viewport. Say like a, a mobile menu and the mobile menu is out of view, viewport and Playwright couldn't click it because it's not there. Um, and then you can really understand what's going on. So the trace viewer is something that is set up on CI and runs on first retry by default. Um, but it's something that you can do locally if you want by just putting the, a little flag after your test dash dash trace on, and then it's mm -hmm. gonna actually create that trace locally. And then you can locally kind of go through, which is really good for local debugging. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. and um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Yes, I'm all about local debugging. So just to clarify, uh, again, I'm looking at the doc pages on the trace viewer stuff. This is all stuff that you get on your local, right? The screenshots and the, the DOM snapshots and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. So you can do dash dash trace no. on, and and even if your test passes, it doesn't have to fail now because you you're doing it locally. Um, you, you you can always also set it on CI to have a trace for every single test, right? But that would be terrible because right. then you're like using space, right? Uh, yeah. But locally, just do dash dash trace on, and then like obviously you don't need to do it all the time because you don't need to always understand what your test is doing. But when you have a problem, when you have something you can't figure out, uh, when your test is failing, you're like, why is this failing? Just run it with dash dash trace on and then just go through it and see what Playwright is doing. And then you can kind of like understand it a lot better, especially if you like, you know, you, you know what the DOM was meant to do and you can go into the CSS and see if something was hidden. If You know, I found a couple of times actually where they had a CSS hidden class and they were like hiding it on mobile and that's why the test failed. And I was like, why is this failing? It's like, dad, display none. Look at that. Look at that. I found you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so let's going through the docs here again. So let's talk about parameterized tests. What what is what is that? Um, I would have to oh. look it up myself. Oh, I, I asking me. <laughs> the expert. Mul okay, so it's multiple test projects at the same time. One and two projects with different options. Okay. So it looks like you're passing in. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. So you can run a test and basically dynamically uh, pass in different pieces of data that are needed by the test so that you can run the same test just from different environments and not have to have yeah. two whole separate suites of tests because this is different and this is different only because of data. Yes, correct. There's, you there's, learned something new so today. Many. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> done that, actually. This is the one with Bob and Alice, right, in the docs. And they're, they're a great example, but I've never had the need to do it yet. Um, but yeah, there's so many things you can do, which is like, um, makes it very cool. Um, but yeah, if you've gone through the docs, like we have so much from, you know, accessibility testing, visual regression testing, uh, mock APIs. Um, Oof. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, the mock APIs are basically uh, a way to, uh, yeah, generate an API for data that you need during your test, you know, instead of having to hit a real uh, API endpoint, which you probably don't want to do like hit production. I'm running tests. I'm going to take down my production because I'm hitting all these APIs, right? Yeah. I used to do that. I didn't know you like, do you know what I mean? You're just like testing it out. Yes, it works. And you're like, actually, no, that's not what you should be testing. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. That's the thing about tests and computers in general. They do what you tell them to do, not what you want them to do. Yeah. Right. So you got this great test written and it tests and it comes back, but it's really not what you needed to test. So that's, I mean, there's only so much an automated test generator can do, right? <laughs> can't really exactly, read you, your you mind and know what you need to test, what you really, really need to test. If you generate your tests and like, say you go to your social networks to test that, you know, it goes to Twitter, for example, um, mm -hmm. that's what the test is going to write for you and it's going to generate for you. But that's not mm -hmm. good because now we're hitting Twitter and, you know, it might not even work because there might be some sort of like sign in modal that comes up. And now you're going to have this problem of checking if Twitter is that really my my Twitter account, et cetera. Um, but yeah, you can intercept routes and stuff. That's something I only learned recently, um, mm -hmm. which is really, really cool. So you can like intercept that route and be while it's before it goes to Twitter server, it's going to like, you know, I say, give me a mock Twitter page with just says Debbie's Twitter. And then like it tests that and it comes back. So what it's really testing is that link is actually clickable, that it's able to find it and it's going to go to that place. But we're not going to test that the server gave back uh, Debbie on Twitter because that's up to Twitter to do that, right? Right, right. So one of the things you had mentioned uh, was the ability to test across browsers and other environments. And, and in the emulation section, I find this interesting, is that you can also emulate real devices like a mobile phone or a tablet. Uh, so you have to tell it, okay, I want to test on this and this and this. And it, it simulates uh, one of those types of browsers instead of just always assuming you know it's on a desktop because the vast majority of people are looking at web pages on a desktop, right? <clears throat> yeah, I, like I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the same as well. You know, your my 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 test doesn't work on mobile Safari, and it's like, why does it not work on mobile Safari? And there's little things like, yeah, but you got a mobile hamburger menu. You just got to click that. That's an extra click that you didn't write in your test. And I asked this question a couple of times on stage, and I said, like, you know, what do we do in this situation? And a lot of people went. 
we just write two tests. And I'm like, what? You're going to write two tests? One test for desktop and one test for mobile? Seriously, just oh. because you have to click an extra button? But like, they couldn't figure out um, how, to, how to do it if not. Like, what do you do? And I was the same. I was like, how do I do this? Can I not just like, you know, if it's mobile, just click that button. And that's exactly what you can do. You can just put if is mobile and then locate hamburger menu, you know, get by roll button um, menu, uh, click. And then like, you know, close that if is mobile and then continue your test. And that's kind of mm -hmm. like really cool because like that's what the user would do. They would have to click that mobile menu button and maybe close it if, if they didn't want to click anything, whatever. But the fact that you can write one test and actually just say, you know what, if you're mobile, go this. And then you can test it not just on Safari, you can test it on any you know mobile device that you want to test it on. Yeah, that's really strange, though, that you would have an error on Safari that's not on any other browser. <laughs> <laughs> that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, what else can we do with Playwright that we haven't talked about or any other features that you can think of that that make it so better, shall we say, than the competitors? I mean, Playwright is super fast. I think that's one of the uh, one of the things a lot of people just the wow factor for them is like how fast your tests run. And it's really important because everybody's busy. You don't want to be like, oh, I'm making a pull request and it's going to run the test. I'm going to go have a coffee, have a sandwich, come back, and maybe they'll have finished, right? You want to be able to have things <laughs> done fast. Um, right. Tests run in parallel, like just for free, out of the box, just automatically. So, you know, everything is running um, in parallel, uh, which makes it just like super fast. And then like you can do extra stuff, right? You can add more workers, you can do sharding, you do all that kind of stuff and have them, you know, um, even faster than that. But yeah, it's it's super fast. I think that's really, really important. Another couple of things is that you can test across multiple domains. Um, this is really handy if you are using a chat application, for example, and you wanted to test, you know, like that I'm chatting to that other browser window and that's kind of chatting back to me and I can test that whole integration that everything works. Um, you don't have to do anything, it just works. So it's just like, I, I, a lot of the stuff about Playwright is, it just works, <laughs> you just do it. iframes, <laughs> it just works, you just test an iframe. Um, just use the pick locator and it'll just find that iframe for you and, you know, give you, give you that, but it's just like iframe, like frame locator instead of page. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of cool things that we've solved the problem that people have had previously, uh, where people were struggling. And one of the things is that, yeah, playwrights solve that problem. So that's kind of very cool. It's in there. What's the, God, there was an old commercial for like some, it was a food and, and the, the tagline was, does it have this? It's in there. <laughs> yeah. or, can it do this? It's in there. I think it was like a spaghetti sauce or something. I forget what it was, but uh, yeah, that's what it sort of reminds me of. Yeah. Um, and TypeScript by default, like TypeScript first, because obviously like, you know, Microsoft, um, but it's just that that's where <laughs> everyone's going, right? Everyone is, you know, starting to work with TypeScript. But one of the things I love about the fact that you can write your tests in TypeScript, you don't even have to know any TypeScript. You just have to put a TS extension on your test file and you can test your JavaScript code, right? Because you're, you're testing what's in the browser really. Um, but you don't have to actually write TypeScript. You're just writing your tests in TypeScript. What you get is better uh, integration in your in your IDE, for example. You're gonna It's gonna tell you what's available to you and it's Ooh. gonna underline any mistakes you have so it makes the experience a lot better. And I think when people are choosing, they're like, 
they see TypeScript and they go, oh my God, TypeScript. And then like, they just go, I'll go with the JavaScript. And it's like, no, like actually install the TypeScript because, you know, it's just compiling. That's all it's, you know, you don't need to do anything extra to get all the benefits. And that's, that's what's really important. And just to clarify, that's, I mean, VS Code, obviously, because Microsoft owns VS Code and Playwright and TypeScript, all this, it's going to be pretty tightly integrated. But that's not to say you couldn't use another IDE or tool for, for writing your tests and getting, you know, a lot of those benefits. Like we use, in my shop, we use PHP Storm just because we exactly. write on PHP and it really works for us uh, in our setup. So, you know, TypeScript is TypeScript is TypeScript, right? So you're going to... Yes, you're, you're going to get, get it in any of the editors, yes. Yeah, the code hinting and tests and those, yeah, we rely on those quite a bit. Uh, so yeah, that's nice to have for sure. Um, so looking at, you know, I mentioned we use Circle CI and you've got Travis CI. There's GitHub Actions. Obviously, there's uh, some integration with GitHub. GitHub Actions. <laughs> it's really odd. Um, right. So yeah, so it creates your YAML file and will, uh, you know, pull your branches and run this and that and and that's awesome. And then there's also a setting. Um, for continuous integration for, you know, other packages. Yeah. Uh, as See, well as GitHub Actions, Docker, um, Azure Pipeline, Azure. Oh, that's Microsoft too, yes. <laughs> and you even have a section on uh, <laughs> on Circle CI uh, yeah. like the platform that we run. So yeah, it looks like you have, ooh, even Jenkins, going back to Jenkins, Bitbucket, yeah. uh, and so on. So yeah, it's uh, a lot yeah, of cool I think, stuff I that makes it easy to integrate. I think that's kind of important to point out, you know, all because like we're talking about a lot of integrations and, you know, we work with all the Microsoft products, et cetera, but you don't have to. You can totally like use whatever you want. Playwright is open source. It's free. So you can go and use it on any other mm. editor. You can go and use, you know, CircleCI or whatever that you want to use. The only thing is that like, uh, you, you know, you can't tell a company, oh, change and move to GitHub because we think GitHub is better because, you know, we are Microsoft and we have a better integration. No, your company has already got their system set up. They're going to use that. So that's totally cool. But if anyone is starting out, um, the GitHub integration is, is, is just incredible. And especially if you're using uh, the VS Code uh, extension, because when you install, it's just literally tick a box, tick, tick the box to say like, do you know, do you want to get up actions? You just tick it. And now this is all created for you. So when you create uh, your repository in GitHub and just push your code, that's it. It's all done. Your tests are now going to run every pull, pull request. Um, and you don't have to do anything. It just works. It's like writing the docs for this page. It just works. Just, just tick the box and then it works. <laughs> uh, now, looking at the supported language pages we had talked about, uh, I don't think we can do it anything unless I'm reading this correctly, because the options listed on here are JavaScript and TypeScript, Python, Java, and .NET. Correct. Um, is there any work to add other languages, say PHP, which is a sort of popular uh, web development uh, platform? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but you could submit a question on GitHub and ask the engineers that. Um, we do a lot of work with the GitHub issues. So if you had like that, you know, request or that question, uh, you could submit it there and they would answer as to if that's going to happen, if it's not, why, why not, um, et cetera. But as far as I know, we it's not on the roadmap, but I don't know um, if it's because of a demand issue or if it's just like because it's more you know, I don't know, back end, you're not testing much in the front end. 
you could just use, we just kind of assume all the PH people know JavaScript and TypeScript. That's what I would assume. But you know you the dangers know, of assuming, right? You all know Vue, right? You all, you know, yes. <laughs> Taylor yes. did it all, you know, you know, you all know Vue now. <laughs> well, like I said, for instance, well, somebody coming from Dusk, you know, all of our, the Dusk tests, even though they're front end tests are written in PHP. So mm -hmm. uh, that would, granted, yeah, you could say we use JavaScript because that's what we're using on the front end. But I just thought it'd be worth asking. Yeah, maybe I'll go in and, and add a question about there. Uh, to see what the plans are. Because like I said, PHP is, you know, if you look in terms of what backend languages are used on the web, it's pretty dominant <laughs> between, you know, Drupal and WordPress and, and Joomla and Craft and a lot of the CMSs that are out there. Yeah, uh, for so sure. I think it would be one worth at least looking at, for sure. Well, I think we've made our way through the, through all the documents. Anything else uh, are we missing talking about Playwright? Um, yeah, we covered all browsers, um, auto waiting, uh, maybe, yeah, auto waiting and, and assertions. So like one of the great things about the assertions we have, um, is that they will auto wait. And what that means is it's going to like wait for your DOM to be loaded for that. Say we're going to use a button here, for example, wait for that button to be clickable. Um, and then when it is, then Playwright is going to perform that action. So you don't have to start writing timeouts or kind of thinking like, how long is it going to take for that to be ready? And there's an animation to go first. Playwright will just wait. It'll just do everything for you. So that's really, um, really cool to point out. And also um, test isolation. So by default, again, just works. Um, all your tests are isolated. So whatever happens in one test, like whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, whatever happens in one test stays in that one test. And whatever happens to the other test, you know, it's going to get up. It's going to like say, let me kind of put it in a way that it's going to open up a new incognito browser uh, window, right? That knows nothing about what happened in the other browser window. So if you clicked on an event, a link, for example, that's not going to have that link clicked in, in that other test. So that kind of means you don't have to clean up. You don't have to do anything like it just you have basically everything running, you know, new and fresh in an isolation. So yeah, that just, it just Playwright just works like that. Um, and then we have the locators. So we talked a little bit about how to locate, you know, using the, the generator and stuff. And we recently like improved our locators a lot by using testing library inspired locators. So if you've ever used, you know, testing library, so things like get by role, uh, get by, um, test ID, if you want to use a test ID, for example, uh, you, but we want to kind of go towards a user-facing role. So what is the user seeing? The user seeing a button, they're seeing a link, they're seeing a heading. Well, you could use a get by role button, for example, uh, or you could use a test ID, right? And now you've got the two differences. And um, a lot of people say, oh, we put the test ID everywhere, we'll change all our code and we'll add this in. But then what if somebody changes that button to a link, for example, right? Because the designer made it look different. Uh, now you're actually test is a little bit different, right? Whereas testing user, you're also testing now accessibility. You're making sure that button actually is a button, that it's not a link, or that link is actually a link and not a button. It might look like a button, right? Um, so yeah, basically kind of focused towards the user facing roles uh, to improve accessibility testing. Um, but obviously, like we do have the... Um, you know, test ID if you want to, um, if you need to. Uh, but basically, the get by role is our, our big improvement, and a lot of other 
locators in there as well. So we have a whole document on locators, which you've probably got now open. Um, so think about a form you might want to get by like, say the label or the placeholder of that form element. Um, you can also do get by text, right? Which is, you know, maybe that text should never change. Like my name on my website, my name should never change. Someone should not make a PR to change my name. So that, that would be a good kind of way of get by text. But if that text um, is going to change, then obviously like, you know, you might need something different, like, you know, get by a list item for a load of like product card items, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, they're all basically in there. I wrote a doc as well recently on how to choose locators and which locators and et cetera. Um, so you can find that on my website. So when we talk about, right. Uh, so are we, when you say role, are those ARIA roles or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, well, like the implicit role that the, that, um, that, a button has a button is not an, it, just an area role, it's an implicit role of button, right? But then you could add an area role and then it's going to have get by role, whatever that area role that you added. So you could turn a div into a button, right? And, and then now you could say get by role button because you wrote area role button, but you shouldn't use a div with an area role of button. You should just use a button, for example. But yes, it will respect the area labels, area roles as well. So within your elements, is there a way to define? Uh, labels or IDs that are specific only to testing that make it easier. So let me illustrate with uh, one of the things that you can do in Dusk is that in your elements, uh, you can define, you say Dusk equals whatever, you know, your ar whatever arbitrary identifier you want for that particular element. And the only place it comes to matter, the only place it matters is when you're running your Dusk tests. So when you're running through your test and you want to see is something present or is something missing or does it have the right value, you just put an at sign in front of that uh, that identifier that you created, you know, my custom desk element, whatever. And that makes it very easy instead of having to use some complex CSS rule or to use some attribute that may or may not be there. So exactly. it's, it's Which you shouldn't to... use, right? Because then like that, somebody could change that and they don't right. know that you've associated it with your test. Right, it's brittle. Is that can you do that? Can you do that with Playwright, where you can say, okay, when I'm testing, just identify this this text field by this name and look for it. Yeah. So you you we have like a data dash test ID, uh, which is our like predefined one. Um, but you could totally change that in the configuration, and you could say Debbie's test ID, for example, and Debbie's data test, whatever you want to put, right? And then like you change that, and then you can basically like locate based on that test ID. But yeah. Basically, the test ID is there. It works the same as, as you would in, in other tests. So that's using the native data attribute on the element, then. It's using the data test ID attribute that um, that like obviously you will put it on on your on the code. You're you're gonna have to manually write in there that right. data attribute, right? right, where you want to put it, and then you can test against that. And if someone sees test ID, they're not gonna data dash test ID, for example they're not, normally not going to delete that because they know it has to do with a test. Right. Okay. So locate by test ID. What do you know? It's in the docs. <laughs> uh, RTFM, baby. RTFM. So, okay, good. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a real headache sometimes that, you know, trying to identify something by some, you know, CSS selector or like you, yeah. Like text. You, if you do not have access to the code, then, you know, if that's the only thing you have, then use a CSS selector. But in general, it's like, just don't, don't use CSS selectors because 
your CSS is going to change. Your someone right. on the team is going to change. They come along mm-hmm. and they're going to change from bootstrap to tailwind. Now, oh my God, now you're gone completely, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you mean. Or we're, this is view. Maybe they go to Beautify, you know? Who knows? Yeah. So, so, all righty. Well, that's, that's awesome. I certainly got to have to pull this in and actually do testing, <laughs> kicking and screaming, you know, from, I, I, from, from doing it professionally all the time, you know, every day, I, I've definitely seen the value of tests and how they've caught things that, that, uh, um, you know, that inadvertently change or, you know, one change here broke something way downstream. So on my more personal projects, I think I'm gonna have to start doing the same thing much as, <laughs> much as I don't want to. At times. We do want to. This is the attitude. We're going to change this attitude. We want to test. We love testing, and testing is yes. fun and easy and cool. <laughs> yes, when it becomes easier, then yeah, you sure. Then uh, then it make, you're more uh, likely to do it, shall we say? Well, it's uh, it's like when I moved from Vue to React, right? And I was like, React was just hard and difficult. It's almost like I just want to write my Vue applications again, right? But now yes. I'm like, now I know React. I actually really love React. And I think a lot of people say, I don't like this because they don't know how to do it. And if we can help people know how to do something, they're going to love it. Uh, just so you know, saying I love React on a View podcast <laughs> is generally considered heresy. Uh, but we'll let it slide this time just because of, of who you are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I kid. I kid people. Don't, uh, don't blame me on Twitter or anything. Okay. So... <laughs> All right, so the site for Playwright is playwright.dev. Love those new top-level domains you can get. Uh, The docs look uh, pretty uh, pretty, uh, amazing, pretty detailed. Everything that we've talked about is outlined in the documents here. Uh, So uh, give it a a try. And uh, with that, we'll move on. Oh, sorry, before we move on. I would just say start with the getting started because I created it. No, um, because... (laughs) (laughs) because I I've built it in a way that in like basically like five minutes, you should be able to have a test up and running and on, on CI. So that's the mission. And I think you can all do that. Yes. Yeah. It looks, looks pretty straightforward and pretty easy, at least according to the docs. I'll have to, I'll give it a shot here soon for sure. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week, one of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, The rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers, all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it. Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. 
And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The The full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. All right, now, now we will move on to two picks. Uh, picks are the part of the pro show program, however you want to call it, where we get to talk about things that are not tech-related, or maybe they are tech-related, you know, just something that, uh, that you find interesting. We've talked about food and books and tools and movies and toys and you name it. So I will go first. And uh, as I always like to say, the high point of any of my episodes are the dad jokes of the week. Debbie's going, oh my God. So <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> right, right. What not to do on a podcast, right? So <laughs> uh, first question, you know, uh, think of all the Marvel movies or the superhero movies, Iron Man and so on. And this is one little known uh, behind the scenes type of thing is, do you know why Iron Man and Aquaman never got along? <clears throat> they had rust issues. <laughs> right. So, uh, cow jokes, you know, I got a couple of the cow jokes. I always appreciate expanding my, my cow jokes from the basic, you know, what do you call a cow with no legs, ground beef type stuff to, uh, <laughs> what do you call a cow who's done amazing things in her life. Legendary. That's kind of like cool. It's kind of like cool, but almost a little bit offensive in a way, the way, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I could so see my brothers using that. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody pointed out to me um, uh, the other day that cow farts are dairy air. <laughs> you know, dairy air. Anyway, sorry. That was ruined when you got to explain them. And then finally, uh, this is in honor of uh, Drew Baker, who's who's been a guest host, wasn't able to make it today. Uh, the other day, I was watching an Australian baking show. You know, we get a lot of Australian baking shows up here in the States. And, uh, you know, meringue, you know, like a lemon meringue pie is really difficult to make. You know, it, it can fall flat and do whatever. So uh, one of the, everybody cheered when one of the contestants successfully made meringue. But that surprised me because I always thought Australians usually boomerang. Yes. So anyway, those are the dad jokes of the week. Debbie, what do you got for us for a pick? Okay, I've got three. Three? Yeah. Um, three I'm picks. Go with it. So the first one is <laughs> <laughs> the first one is like a shameless plug, actually. Uh, the first one is Discord. So we moved 
the playwright community to Discord literally like less than 24 hours ago. So if oh, you're wow. not there, it's because you just haven't found out yet because it's it's like hot news. So yeah, um, <laughs> join us on Discord because it's like going to be fun in there. We're going to do a lot of kind of cool and fun things with the community. We've got like hundreds of community members in there already. So that's really amazing. So yes, Discord, playwriting Discord. Second one, keeping with How do you the find keys. it? Is there, sorry, for oh, you How do you find it? Is there like a link from the docs page or you just search oh. for playwright in Discord or how does that work? I thought you meant how do you find it as in what do you think of it? Um, oh, yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we basically put it everywhere, but um, I haven't put it on the docs, but I've kind of like sneakily uh, redirected the Slack link to Discord. So if you see the word Slack, <laughs> you'll just go to Discord. <laughs> In the documentation? Yeah, at the very bottom in the footer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like our sneaky way in, right? But we're... Um, ah, there it is. Yeah, we're going to like properly change it soon. We like it. It's so new. So that's why like we still haven't updated everything. Okay, so Discord, number one pick. Woohoo. Uh, number two, keeping with the P's, the pyramids. Uh, I was literally in Egypt uh, less than two weeks ago and I got to see the pyramids for the first time and they are insanely impressive and I highly recommend everyone go to Egypt and see the pyramids if that should be on your to-do list top priority um make it happen there you go um <laughs> if I can yeah. do it you can do it <laughs> yeah that would be that would be pretty pretty neat to see those one of those things you know you read about and see in books and stuff all the time but I'm going to I'm going to guess that uh, pictures don't really do it justice as compared to actually being there, right? Just the fact that it's still there after all those years, like they had amazing engineers who like literally right. built something that stood there for so long and it's still as beautiful as as when they built it. And I mean, they must have done testing, right? I, I, I'm i sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think for them, it would be more hardware testing than software testing. <laughs> You never know. Um, and the last pick is Wednesday. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I don't really do a lot of TV. I'm, I'm more of a sports person. So when I find something that I actually like, it's like, I might as well kind of share it. And this is a little bit like, almost like it's for kids. Kind of think it's like aimed at the kids more than anything. But Wednesday, the Adams Family kind of new uh, Tim Burton Wednesday, it's actually really good. It's actually really funny. And the main character, I think she's amazing. I think she's, done a, she's got a great future ahead of herself. Uh, but yeah, I would sit down, watch Wednesday, book your trip to the pyramids, and then get on Discord and chat to us about Playwright. <laughs> yes, I'm already in the room. So yes, it's their playwright. It's got the little icon with the, like the Shakespearean type of masks, a red and a green one. So yes, cool. And Wednesday, yes, uh, I've I can remember watching uh, some of the very uh, original Adams Family. You know, the black and white TV show from what was it, fifties and sixties, I think, and and uh, Gomez Adams and and little Wednesday. So yeah, I might have to pony up and watch this. I've heard good things about it. I mean, she's she's rather. Does she smile during the whole thing? Ever? I think she smiled twice. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's her thing. Is sort like of she the... really held it. Like it was she, you know, it was it really impressive. And the smile was like you needed it in that moment. But like she's just played that character very, very well. Um, it's really cool. You know, I've heard that the one character that uh, really sort of steals steals the show uh, is the hand. Is yeah. Oh, the hand is amazing. Like. It's just brilliant how, how it's done. It's, it's incredible. I, I think it's great. Huh. 
Yeah, I have to check it out. Put the link to that in the show notes to at least some information about it. Cool. All righty. Well, thank you for coming yet again. That's a hat trick for you, Views on View. Uh, talking all about playwright. If people want to read what you have to say or give you money or whatever, what's the best places to do that? Yeah, I love it. Give me money. You can buy me beers. There's a link on my website to buy me beers. Um, <laughs> Debbie.codes is my website. You can find everything there and all links to, you know, my GitHub. Um, because we're on view and view, views on view, um, my website is in next three. I updated it recently and I have a whole blog post on my painful journey of all the pain I had to go through to get there so that you don't have to go through that pain. Um, and also my website is open source. You can go to GitHub, clone it, make your own copy of it, do your own things, use Nook's content, write your own blog posts, of course, not, you know, don't use mine, but yeah, use the whole everything to kind of like be able to fetch that data and, you know, create your own site. So if you're starting out, you want to have a website up and running, my, my website is your website. Go for it. Take it. It's open source. It's all yours. Lots of open source goodies. All righty. With that, we will wrap up. I'd like to say thank you once again to the studio audience for coming today. They paid a and premium my price to be here. so. And my website has tests, just, you know, so uh, I want to see uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to see everyone's websites have tests for next year. That's everyone's New Year's resolution. <laughs> okay, so if you, uh, if you go to her site and find errors, then make sure and send her an email or ping her in the Playwright Discord and say, hey, did yes. you write a test for this? Exactly. Or just make a PR to my website. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed hearing more about Playwright, and we will talk at you next time on Views on View. Thank you very much. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.